Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Before we start today's circle, inshallah, can I ask everybody to please click the like button and share button? And please uh, send to your family and friends so we can get as many people to listen and benefit from the talk, inshallah. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, called The Friday Circle so you can receive notifications of our future talks. Jazakallah khair. So, welcome to this week's online Friday Circle, organized by members of Hizb al-Tahrir. Hizb al-Tahrir has become a household name around the world for its work to revive the Muslim Ummah from its decline, so that this Ummah can once again live in the state of security and prosperity, living under the shade of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's laws. We urge you to work with us and support this noble work, inshallah. Today's circle entitled Islamic Institute versus Islamic Society. We see today all over the world hundreds and thousands of Islamic institutes being created out of the growing love of Islam. But still we are seeing the world as a whole being pulled down deeper into misery, chaos and corruption. Today's circle will aim to explain the missing link between setting up of Islamic institutes and achieving an Islamic society. Today we have with us Dr. Ruhul Amin, who will be going through some depth on this topic, inshallah. After his talk, we will have some time for questions and comments, so please do think of some during the talk. And can I remind you again to please click the like button and the share button and spread to your family and friends. And without further delay, I'll pass you over to Dr. Ruhul Amin. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. In alhamdulillah, in alhamdulillah, in ahmaduhu, wa nasta'inuhu, wa nasta'gfiru, wa na'udhu billahi bin shururi anfusina, wa min sayyati a'malina. May yahdihillahu falamudillala, wa may yudlil falahadiyala. Wa shadu an la ilaha illa Allah, wahdahu la sharika, abduhu wa rasuluhu amma ba'd. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan, wa rizuqna attiba'a, وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَرْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابًا Ya Allah, enable me to see the truth as truth and give me the ability to follow it. And enable me to see the falsehood as false and give me the ability to refrain from it. Now, brothers and sisters, many from our noble ummah have moved to the non-Muslim lands and have experienced certain material comforts, some semblance of financial security, health and education. However, the majority of us still feel alienated, still feel discriminated against, and are even criminalized, not only for espousing vocally, but for merely possessing Islamic values, and uh, thus trying to live by Quran and Sunnah. 
to the best of our ability under an un-Islamic system. So one of the key common requirements or services uh, is that uh, our Muslim community is set up to educate those living in the West is the establishment of Islamic institutions. Now, these institutions may provide tarbiyah courses, fiqh courses, Arabic language hifs, alima courses. Um, we also have Islamic schools for our children, madrasas, after-school education, supplementary education, uh, and of course, the masajid, the numbers of masajid uh, to meet our Islamic educational and uh, uh, ritual worship requirements. The critical question to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, and think about is, does the building of Islamic institutes on Western soil correspond to the building of an Islamic society? Now, there are many of us who may think that it is possible to raise our children and keep our iman firm within the parameters of the secular system. Um, are somehow Islamizing the environment around us through, as I alluded to you earlier, the many Islamic services or, you know, such as halal butchers, restaurants that don't sell alcohol, um, uh, shops that sell Islamic clothing, masajid where adhan is, can be audible, even the park, Islamic banking and so on. Almost as if we want to recreate the societies we have uh, back in the Muslim lands here in the West. Birmingham, Bradford, London, East London are typical examples of uh, uh, where uh, there is a vibrant uh, Muslim community that display some semblance of an Islamic environment, which is true to say. There are hundreds of Islamic institutes um, in, 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 in Britain alone, um, probably in, and obviously even more in Europe and, and, and uh, America. So some of them are very large and well-funded. And then you have the small madrasas or schools and colleges, which are uh, privately funded, almost community funded, if you like. Now, as the, speak, as the, as the chair said, uh, he mentioned tonight, um, of course, the reason why these uh, institutions are set up is because of our love for Islam. Our love for Islam has stimulated the effort that uh, is invested in creating such educational organizations. And the numbers of these Islamic institutes are on the rise, both locally and uh, globally. Yet, the complication is that as the number of these Islamic educational organizations increase in the West, the problems, the misery, the starvation, the murdering, the torture, economic exploitation, continues to be inflicted upon our ummah. And in fact, is on the rise. So precisely what is the objective of uh, uh, Islamic institutes that are built or set up in the West? Some may uh, well uh, say that uh, we want to impart Islamic culture to the Muslims, the Muslim community, to our children, to the next generation. Others may say we want to protect the identity of our youth, the next generation, keep them connected with our heritage, our culture our way of life. Some may say to increase our Iman so that we can protect ourselves from the harams, the many harams we see in society. Now, alhamdulillah, these are very rewardable actions. These are, uh, 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 you know, uh, wonderful pursuits. 
And there is, of course, much sincerity in our intention to to spread Islam, keep our community on the right path, as it were. After all, as Muslims, we want to obey our creator. We love the Prophet and we want to abide by his personality, his model and lifestyle in everything we do, as this is what we understand to be uh, success, happiness and peace. So we, we yearn for Jannah and we avoid those actions that will lead to Jahannam. Now, this is the philosophy, the mindset and the mentality. Just because we have an area containing a variety of Islamic services, from educational to economic provisions, as I've mentioned before, does that imply that we have some kind of Islamic society or an environment? Now, if the answer is yes, sorry, if the answer is no to that question, then what actually is it that we are trying to achieve by setting up Muslim institutions, organizations or services uh, um, within a secular framework. Do we think that a few Islamic uh, Muslim services concentrated in a locality or a, a borough or a county somehow represents um, an Islamic system or a society? Uh, something is better than nothing philosophy which um, is always, I, I believe, a, a defeated and conquered position, a stance to have. Now, of course, um, of course the, the, the true acid test of an Islamic society is whether the society reflects the society of Medina, established by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, just like the way uh, he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, modeled uh, uh, for us to, you know, how to pray, how to fast, how to perform hajj, he also modeled to us the way a society should function. Now, I ask, is it too far a leap of faith to suggest that a true Islamic society is built upon the foundations of the Islamic creed, the Aqidah, only, with no reference to any other laws from other cultures? Um, and so all ideals or rules and systems, institutions, pervade and cascade down the entire society. Is it too far a stretch of the imag imagination to be actually thinking like this? It's not. It's a rational point. It makes sense. And furthermore, we must not forget that it's indeed an obligation for all Muslims to live under an Islamic system within an Islamic society. Otherwise, we will be held accountable for disobeying Allah and ignoring the numerous hadith related to uh, Islamic ruling and the structure, the shape of the institutions of the Islamic system, the Khilafah system. There is no room for debate or discussion here uh, on this point. Remember that Islam is a comprehensive code that we must use for all our actions and behavior, be it in the personal sphere, the societal or political. It is a guidance for mankind without which humanity is lost, without correct direction. And corruption and injustice is the order of the world, as it is today. Is this not a true depiction of the global reality? Now, to really get our heads around this topic, we need to understand the constituents, the ingredients of society, and what a society is and what it's made up of, and what, what role society actually plays uh, in shaping the minds, 
the viewpoints and influencing our actions, the vision and purpose. Now, societies are made up of two components, individuals and the permanent relationship these individuals have with each other. So that's two individuals and the permanent relationship they have with each other. The permanent relationship between these two people will be shaped. Okay, so the, the, the relationship between these two people, the permanent relationship between these two people will be shaped by common thoughts, by common emotions under a common system. Otherwise, the relationship is not a permanent one uh, that ensures cohesion in society. As an example, let me give you an example. Um, an example could be where we have a masjid being built. Okay, um, what would be the thoughts? What would be the thoughts of individual Muslims towards this, except that it is halal? And what about the emotions of these individuals? It is one of support for its building, positivity and happiness to the point that it encourages a Muslim to perhaps donate towards the upkeep. What of the system under which the, the, the masjid is being built? The system should reflect the thoughts and the emotions of the individuals so that the system promotes the common values and protects and sustains that particular masjid. Only then can we say that we have an Islamic society. Let's put it another way. What if we have in our locality a gambling place? Betfred, um, I think they're called Ladbrokes in my days. Um, Betfred. Uh, or a casino, or even a pub, um, like we see in in Muslim areas in Birmingham. Um, the Muslim individuals' thoughts are common. So let's look at the thoughts. What thoughts are common in 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 in, in Muslims that live in those localities with those uh, uh, particular place? You know, with those particular places being there, the, the casino and the uh, the, um, the the pub. Now, the individual thoughts are common in that these outlets, what do they think? What are their thoughts? Haram. It's a disobedience to Allah. What are the common emotions between the individuals? But one of disgust, maybe, anxiety. And if we could, we would remove such harms from our locality. What about the system? Does the system abhor these practices? Secular system. Does the secular system abhor these realities, these practices and places? Does the system promote such places? And if we if we look at the reality, we see that the liberal system in the West definitely, without a shadow of doubt, supports un-Islamic places, un-Islamic actions, with the government not batting an eyelid about the problems uh, that such places cause, but rather the system is geared toward protecting such places under the pillar of personal freedom. So the three ingredients are need that, that are needed to define a society, the common thoughts, the common emotions and the common system, they are all necessary yeah, to induce a permanent relation between those that live in the society. So the key point here that I'm trying to get across is that no matter how many Islamic institutions we may build, it is not going to change the system. Rather, we have to remember that we build yeah. these Islamic institutions are built within the confines, within the restrictions and legislation of the secular liberal system, which was not designed to uphold Islamic uh, 
political values. In fact, uh, the secular liberal system and its society is the antithesis. It's it's the contrary. It's uh, you know it's the total opposite of the Islamic system and society that Islam produces. So, in other words. In other words, um, it's the secular liberal system together with the individuals and the societal institutions that they have, which will shape the emotions and thoughts within the secular society and influence the people's political views, uh, 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 economic, social, legal and judicial opinions. So it is fair to say that what these secular governments project onto society will automatically have a great influence on the thoughts and emotions of the individuals that live in that society. But any problem, any problem that we may see in, in, in society will be a direct reflection of its system and of the individuals and institutions shaping the thoughts and emotions. So we know that Muslims see gambling and alcohol and free mixing and riba transactions as a problem. We see that as a problem. But the secular system don't view this, uh, these things this way. Despite the, sh the shameful statistics related to crime and you know, alcoholism and gambling, society is advised to drink and gamble responsibly. That's what you should do. So when we look at the thoughts and emotions which have been set as a standard, if you like, in the Western, uh, 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 in the Western secular societies towards Islam and the Muslims, it's not surprising. Is it surprising that we see a lot of anti-Islamic sentiment? No. If we understood what society means, we can understand where it's coming from. We can say that the sentiment towards Islam has become increasingly negative over the past decades. I mean, the anti-Islamic rhetoric has not only been expressed uh, uh, verbally by most uh, European leaders, it's uh, it's also being used to um, you know, change laws, to uh, even uh, bring about legislation, okay, in these societies because they see Islam as a threat. Now we may teach our children, brothers and sisters, um, you know, about let's say the the uh, the ten Sahaba that are promised uh, Jannah. May Allah be pleased with them. Or we may try to teach an aspect of the seerah or, uh, or the tafsir or the surah. You know, we can invest a lot of time and effort to implant uh, Islamic uh, values, um, you know, in, 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 into their uh, personality. Um, now, we may even send our youth or even attend these Islamic institutes ourselves. Yet, when we really look at the reality, it's the society that teaches them about the non-Islamic personalities as role models, the movie characters, the rap songs, in other words, the secular culture. Although none of this was taught to them in schools. So look to the power. I want to just show you, look to the power of society, influence to promote and protect the common thoughts, the common emotions and the system that overrides these. Society teaches the population on a mass level. So um, let me give you some examples. Have we not heard the many negative thoughts on Islam? Statements such as Islam is not a part of Germany. And this was made by this is a comment made by Germany's interior minister or the Quran is a fascist book which incites violence, said by the 
the now uh, famous uh, politician Geert Wilders. And the quote made by the former French president, Sarkozy. And he said, no headscarves, no burkinis, no specific swimming times at the public pools and strict equality when it comes to the rights of men and women. That is the French Republic. Now, look at these statements. Did the school, did their schooling teach them this? It's the, it's the politics in society. So these statements, which are merely thoughts, are made by the leaders of these societies. Yeah, They weren't just some nobodies. They were leaders of societies, politicians, who within this liberal secular system are elected to run the country and who have a huge influence on the ideas and sentiments that uh, are within wider society. A school curriculum didn't teach this. So, for example, uh, Denmark and Netherlands, um, these are countries, Denmark and Netherlands, are countries praised for their so-called progressiveness. Uh, they both passed a law to ban the wearing of the face veil, even though both countries claim freedom of religion. Belgium, Austria and France already held a similar ban, including the same negative stance by criminalising Islamic symbols. Also, you see uh, Britain, the Conservative Party, has been accused of, uh, of being so poisoned by Islamophobia that the, the Muslim Council of Britain has uh, called for an independent inquiry after what it calls more than weekly occurrences of the problem. Did universities and colleges teach them to this hate towards Islam? Now, I mentioned how illiberal values could be uh, pushed into society through legislation and policies to influence individuals, thoughts and emotions, and thereby the viewpoint. A systems education department only exists, remember this, it only exists to mass educated citizens in accordance with the, with its aqidah, its intellectual doctrine. Okay, so in the secular society, it will be secularism. This means in a society, yeah, this means um, so, so things like media, media in society is a tool. This tool exists to promote the common thoughts, the common emotions, and to revere the very same system that supports the mass opinion. We all know how the media jump yeah, to exploit any crime committed by a Muslim in the West, or how Muslim countries, you know, they talk about how Muslim countries apply harsh Sharia law, capital punishments on its criminals. Yeah, you, we all are uh, witness to that. Look to how the Muslim community in the West have been silenced by overt, now it's overt, overt political and societal pressure. Not to mention, you know, we can't mention the J word, we can't mention the K word. Um, we are told that the Khilafah is non-negotiable. Yeah, we're told that it's non-negotiable, even under the guise of self-determination of a people. So self-determination and revolution is only acceptable if it leads to a secular democratic system that preserves the political status quo. How democratic and free is that? So my point is, uh, respected brothers and sisters, is that when we live in societies governed by secularism, they use all their tools, all their resources and power at their disposal. Yeah? And effectively, what that is, is, is institutions. You know, the, the, the lawmaking uh, bodies 
yeah, to influence the society and its members in a particular way, to have a particular viewpoint. Now, this is why Islamic institutes alone do not result in an Islamic society, because for every person, yeah, every person that that Islamic institute or educational organization may influence, the society influences millions more. Let's take a look at the societies in the Muslim lands. Let's uh, say Saudi Arabia. I mean, is it not identified as an Islamic society where Muslims dress, they pray, they eat fast, they eat and sleep according to Islam? There is an Islamic punishment system there as well. The government builds mosques, colleges and universities where Quran is recited, its uh, hadith is taught, sirah is studied, the Quran is printed. But is it an Islamic society? Now, judge for yourself. Is are these things what uh, are these things that I've just mentioned, um, you know, go to uh, uh, define an Islamic society, an Islamic system? Well, judge for yourself. Tell me, was it not the Saudi state that fought the Uthmani Khilafah state and rebelled against it? Was it not the Saudi state that collaborated with the colonial power, Britain, and deceived the Ummah? Is it not the Saudi state? that still prefers to uh, uh, rule by kingship over the ruling of Khilafah? Was it not the Saudi state that usurped the Ummah's oil, selling it to its masters in the West for a measly price? Was it not the Saudi state who welcomed the US and other Western countries to invade Iraq and other Muslim countries, killing millions? Was it not the Saudi state that bulldozed the Islamic heritages and landmarks and, and instead to build high rising hotels and banks. Was it not the Saudi state who misled the Ummah for years by presenting itself as an Islamic state? Was it not the Saudi state who gave the false fatwas to be silenced, to be silent against oppression? No demonstrations. Yeah. Silenced against oppression of the corrupt rulers and the kufr systems and commanded the Muslims to even obey them. Now, if someone were to pose the argument that the Saudi state hosted students in Medina and educated them with some Islamic knowledge uh, and, and funds, you know, hundreds of mosques being built, these you know, mosque building projects that they have in the West. <laughs> If someone said that, you know, that these were some kind of positive uh, things to say about this uh, this state, then that would be very naive, uh, intensely shallow intellectually. Yeah, as if, you know, it's like the one who thinks that the women uh, have gained some rights in Saudi Arabia because, you know, they're allowed to uh, drive a car. So Saudi Arabia has never been uh, an Islamic society. Um, so the fact that Mr. Mohammed bin Salman uh, wants to return it to mo some kind of moderate Islam is is utter nonsense. And and those those people that remain defending the Saudis can only be blind, ignorant, and self-serving. The Saudi family is simply using its Islamic institutions as a cover to spread its influence, its popularity, so as to preserve its power. And authority, you know, geopolitical authority over the region, which 
just so aligns with the interests of her colonial masters in the West. So these Islamic institutes can and are easily exploited to further the political agenda of those in power. I mean, look to Turkey, for example. I mean, maybe you have heard about the Gulenist institutes, Fatullah Gulen, Muhammad Fatullah Gulen. Um, and uh, these institutes are widely credited as Islamic. Uh, now, Fatullah Gulen is a Turkish, uh, they say, he's a Turkish Islamic scholar, a uh, preacher, and, um, um, and an Ottomanist, whatever that means. Yeah, an Ottomanist, an influential one at that, is an Islamic poet and writer. Now, this is what he says. This is, this is his quote. He was asked about a, a Khilafah, a revival of a Khilafah. And this is his quote. I would say that the revival of the Caliphate would be very difficult. And making Muslims accept such a revived Khilafah would be impossible. The perception of the modern world regarding the revival of the Khilafah must be considered. I rest my case. So, I mean, this particular organization, this Islamic movement, as it were, has, he has 1,300 schools all over the world. So there's 300 schools in Turkey and then 1,000 uh, sprawled about uh, in, in all over, all over the, uh, the world in, in, in Western countries. And uh, it uh, looks after 2 million students. So... You know, what we should ask is, we should ask ourselves why the Americans are protecting Gulen. Yeah, because I think uh, Mr. Erdogan wanted uh, him to be extradited back to Turkey. But they're protecting him. Uh, he lives very, lives very close to CIA headquarters. Yeah, and, and, you know, you need to ask the question, why are his schools still running and open and promoted in the U.S.? I mean, does the U.S. have uh, some love for Islam or something? Or is it that such movements can be exploited yeah, to change the thinking uh, of Muslim masses? Now, it's well known that the CIA manage the Kulen movement. So with these Islamic institutions being erected on Western soil, um, and these, these institutions, they, they fall within the set ideological parameters of the secular, of the secular system. It's almost a straitjacket. And, you know, it's, it's therefore constrained. That Islamic institution is constrained and underpinned by the secular premise, okay, and the secular vision as to what it may teach um, in the so-called Islamic curriculum. Um, even the curriculum has to be vetted, okay? It has to be vetted to, to, to deem what is acceptable. So, you know, we would, um, what can we acceptably teach, which parts of, of, of the Islamic curriculum should be abandoned. And of course, within all of that Islamic curriculum, there will be uh, uh, um, an injection of the secular culture. What do I mean by that? You'll, you'll have to know about, you know, uh, British history, British politics. Um, uh, so, so these institutes, you know, have to agree to teaching Muslims that they should keep their religious views as a personal thing including any political views whatsoever, no political views, whilst at the same time uh, encouraging Muslims to believe that Western political structures, domestic and foreign policies are in some way consistent with universal good, you know, democracy and freedom, human rights. Sounds good, doesn't it? So this is what they want um, these Islamic institutes to be actually teaching, and they do. They fall within that. 
making sure what they do by by doing this by secularizing it yeah by by um uh, by distancing politics yeah, they make sure that the true islamic khilaf structures you know, knowledge of these structures and its institutions are kept inaccessible or even you know if if challenged they deem them to be outdated and impractical just like gulen was saying it's only through the islamic system the khilafa system brothers and sisters that we can have any chance of creating an islamic society the purpose of the khilafa's education system is very different to what islamic institutions achieve and produce it is to build the islamic personality through the islamic society that is the objective of 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 the khilafa's education system now this is achieved by implanting the islamic aqeedah the thoughts and the behavior in the citizens so that they become muslims who take islam as the sole basis for all their thoughts all their judgments all their inclinations and actions and they shape their whole lives in accordance to their deen the khilafa's institutions will churn out figures that understand the obligation to enjoin the good and forbid the evil in a comprehensive context so this goal will be supported by the islamic environment the islamic society of the khilafa where its media its mosques masjids and all other institutions will promote nothing but the pure islamic concepts the basis that defines all aspects of the education system yeah institutions in the khilafa from its goals the subjects that are taught in there the content of the curriculum the lessons and the organization and the and the organization is um is is uh, uh, in the schools is everything um the content of the curriculum sorry the content of the curriculum and the lessons uh, the organization of the schools and everything else is the islamic aqeedah alone that's its source okay and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says ومن يبتغي غير الاسلام دينا فلا يقبل منه وهو في الاخره من الخاسرين and whoever desires a deen other than islam it shall not be accepted from him and he will be a loser in the hereafter ali imran verse 85 in article 170 of hizb at-tahrir's uh, draft constitution of the khilafa this is what it says it is imperative that the islamic aqeedah is the basis for the education curriculum the syllabi and the methods of teaching are all drafted in a manner that does not deviate from this basis now that is one of the uh, um one of the points of the draft constitution uh, and here it's making it clear that um these educational institutes the only methods of teaching or whatever they espouse will only be derived from the islamic aqeedah alone and here we're talking about islamic so-called islamic religious institutes within the confines of another aqeedah so in order to build an islamic society brothers and sisters we must work for the only system the only system that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained the khilafa ala minhaj an-nubuwa which through its institutions has the power and ability to elevate and build the society 
in an Islamic framework and support Islamic institutions. The aim is to create distinguished personalities, scholars, scientists and experts in every field of life to establish the Khilafah as a, as a leading influential world power. I mean, we probably we, we will use teaching methods that uh, that uh, uh, inspire deep thinking. The empirical sciences, uh, for instance, uh, will be taught in a manner that build analytical skills and where topics are applied to solving real life problems and studied to derive benefit from them to serve the interests of the ummah and her vital issues. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu in tansurullaha yansurkum wa yuthabbit aqdamakum. Oh, you who have believed, if you support Allah, He will support you and plant firmly your feet. Surah Muhammad verse 7. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to understand the plans of the kuffar and work hard to expose their bankrupt plots, their policies and campaigns to thwart the coming of the second Khilafah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the courage, the energy and patience to continue in his service, to reestablish his laws so that humanity can once again enjoy the peace, security and justice under the Islamic world order. Ameen. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah wa li wa lakum innahu ghafurur rahim. I'm Dr. Rohlamin for showing us the difference between Islamic institutes and an Islamic society and how Islam actually establishes an Islamic society via a Khilafah state and not just through Islamic institutes living within a Kufa system. Um, really enjoyed your talk. Um, so now we have some time for questions and comments. So um, please send them through the chat section, inshallah, brothers and sisters. We've already got um, a question up from a sister, uh, Saliha Um Zahira. Um, she says, there's many youth that are saved from the erroneous and corrupt Western culture that is passed on to our youth today because Islamic institutes in Britain have sown the seeds and created a fertile environment for, the, for their sentiments for Islam to prosper. Isn't credit due here? What do you say? Yes, um, Alhamdulillah, you know, no one's, uh, I'm, I'm not attacking um, what's being taught in, in these institutions. Alhamdulillah, this is the part, this is a part of the, the culture of, um, you know, our Islamic culture. You know, we have the empirical sciences and then we have the Islamic culture, the fiqh, the, uh, the, the, the seerah, you know, the Quran, hadith, all of that. Um, these are our sciences. So there is no way that we are, um, are you know, uh, that we can be uh, critical of uh, what is being learned. But what I want you to understand is, um, are you teaching, what kind of Islam are we teaching here? Is it just those sciences? It could well be that you study. Uh, one of my daughters, uh, she went on, uh, she's been doing this uh, part-time Alima course. And um, when she comes back, you know, I ask her, look, what have you been studying? And 
subhanallah it's uh, it's very much a regurgitation i mean it's it's part of our uh, uh, heritage that we memorize but uh, this is it it's all about memorizing uh, facts it's all academic what if you look at these institutions i mean let, let's have a look at these masajid every year year on year they are producing and manufacturing so many hundreds of 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 hafiz of uh, huffad so many alimas so many alims yeah and it's you know i go to these things and i you know uh, to these uh, 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 celebration evenings where they've graduated but the sad thing is the upsetting thing is when they leave these institutions what do they actually do with that knowledge how do they put it into practice in fact what do they use that knowledge for what's the purpose if you look at the, what the sahaba how the sahaba were cultured the sahaba were cultured in a way to change society yeah to practically change their reality uh, around them and this is why they were cultured the rasul sallallahu alaihi cultured them in a way that we say in a well we can say ideological uh, a muslim that is ideological doesn't look at islam in a religious context in just a spiritual context the ideological muslim regards islam as every, you know from a to z you know every aspect of our life so just not from just the individual ritual uh, actions uh, the five pillars yeah it's more than that it's about politics yeah it's about economics it's about the uh, legislation yeah international law international order yeah so all of this now so i hope that answers the question all i'm saying is that these institutions you may be thinking that they're sheltering uh, our 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 children our next generation youth yes that's fine but you know they're working within what do they i mean i know uh what do they actually get the, uh, the the youth that graduate to do they get them to work within the confines of an islamic uh, of of a non-islamic system they they you know they have no vision of uh, perhaps even uh, uh, um uh, you know change politically changing the landscape of the world so that muslims are uh, are protected rather they'll probably stay within uh the shores of the west and get a nice job um you know get married have a nice car have a nice house and maybe raise a bit of charity so to send back home to the poor muslims in the uh, the poor countries there um now i'm generalizing of course but yes sister the the, the issue is that these islamic institutions yeah you know, they are confined by the laws of 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 secular uh, liberal um uh, you know legislation that's all it is so you try and go and and talk about jihad you teach jihad there you teach khilafa you teach politics will come and the authorities will come and close you down yeah look at the madrasas the madrasas now want to be regulated there are 700 unregulated madrasas now ofsted wants to get in yeah they want to know what you're teaching uh, the kids in madrasa not only that certain people have actually uh, 
uh, well, quite a lot of people actually, quite a lot of Muslims, Muslim parents have, have withdrawn their children yeah, from schooling, you know, national schooling, and they, you know, they're homeschooling now. Now Ofsted wants to go into the home. So it's an ideology. Yeah, this ideology will never, ever accept any other ideology that competes with it. Okay, so I hope that explains the okay. point. If it doesn't, uh, please come back. Uh, I understand what you said. I think um, we have a few comments and questions that are related to this, so I'll link them in uh, We have brother a comment Shalom. from Brother Taj Rahman. He says, uh, even if we look at the Islamic institutions set up in the West, we see that the system allows it, but with certain strings attached. Over the years, we have seen how they have targeted masjids, Islamic schools, halal meat, in order to change Islam to fit into secular kufr values, forcing Muslims to accept kufr ideas and in time diluting Islam to just spiritual actions. And I think you mentioned some of these points already. So, and it's also asked a question as well, Saj Rahman. Absolutely. So, um, he's asked a question. Do you yes, think the Muslims living in Britain and the West... Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, he's asked a question. Do you think the Muslims living yes, in Britain and the West are content with having the Islamic institutions and being able to practice Islam? Hence, no need to have an Islamic system because we already have masajids, Islamic schools and halal meat, etc. Absolutely, brother. Um, this is uh, it's quite upsetting and it's really sad how on my first paragraph in the, to my talk, um, we were looking at uh, how the uh, Muslims are comfortable. Yeah, we've got these material comforts and these material comforts are going to be, you know, are going to be the death of us, really, um, in terms of success in the Akhirah. So it's a very dangerous situation that we uh, we place ourselves. And you're absolutely right that the these institutions are... Uh, they come with strings attached. Um, if you ha you know, if you look at these big institutions, I was just reading about one of them. Um, it was to do with the um, the seven hundred unregulated mosques, uh, un unregulated madrasas. Um, there's an institute called the Muslim Parliament of Great Britain. That's the name of the institute, the Muslim Parliament of Great Britain. Subhanallah. Um, Muslim parliament? I thought there was one parliament. So now there's a Muslim parliament. There must be a Hindu parliament. There must be a Christian parliament. But you see how that has now embedded itself into the Western system. So here we are trying to protect as best we can the our children from the uh, from the vices of, of, of the secular system. And um, you know, we have certain institutions that are actually um, allowed to be built so as to embed Muslims into this society. And, and, and this, is a this is a great sadness. Um, and that's what it is. If you look at the reality today, the next generation, what is it that they, what's their entertainment? They've got movies, they've got eating and dining out. Dessert parlors, nice cars. Where do they have the time to think about what's happening in the in the Muslim world? Secularism is doing an immensely, uh, it's amazing job of actually just putting a cover in front of 
the eyes of the Muslims of the of the next generation. Yeah, so keeping them sort of uh, um, insulated from what's happening. So it's a disconnection with the Ummah. This is what they want to achieve. They want to achieve that disconnection. You, you're British. You live in Britain. You're French. You live in France. Yeah. Yes. Give some charity. Yeah. Humanitarian. Uh, you know. Um, uh, uh, some sort of humanitarian gesture. You know, to the uh, the people who are less well off. So yes, it does come with strings attached. You can see many many organisations that will be funded. Yeah. By the government, specially funded Islamic institutions. I'll be talking about the country that actually destroyed our um, our homes, yeah, destroyed our uh, uh, the beloved Khilafah, yeah, that dis- that ripped apart the Quran. That's what it is. The destruction of the Khilafah looks at ripping up the Quran, the Hadith, and all of our heritage. That's what's happened to it, and it's in fragments. And now we have. Muslims and then the the eternal wars, the interventions, the liberal interventions that go on in the name of freedom and democracy, because you've got a dictator there, which, in fact, you know, we placed there originally, but he's not listening to us. So we want to go and change him. He's the bogeyman He's the bad guy. We want to come and save you. You have Syria. That's happening. Yeah. Now, all these Syrians, there's this massive Syrian diaspora. They're coming to the shores of the West. Subhanallah, they're going to Germany, they're going to France, they're coming into Britain. To do what? They're going to stay here. So this is another form of integrating Muslims yeah, into, into uh, a secular mindset. Mm-hmm. So it, it, is, uh, it is very sad. And I, I get quite, um, quite emotional about these subjects because, um, you know, I, I have children. I have children and I see where they're going. And I feel quite... Personally, I feel quite um, quite upset that you know um, the the generations have come here. Yeah, the generations are moving to the west. It's a danger, and it's curtains for the ummah. We need to have that connection, you know, with the with our Muslim lands in order to um, have any chance of any sort of unified uh, political thinking. Okay, um, we have a comment here from Brother Majid Razak. Uh, he says, one of the main problems of living in the West is that we have become accustomed to thinking of society from the individual perspective. This simply means that to become a better society, you need to fix the individual. Unfortunately, if Muslims carry the same thinking, then the hope they carry is that we can be better by having a better cultured individuals through these institutions. So I would say that the sentiment of such Muslims is good, but the view of society and change has been shaped by Western philosophy. Absolutely. That's a very good comment. Jazakallah uh, khair. I mean, the society, we did say that. We said the society is not just composed of, of individuals. Okay. Otherwise, you know, you could go on a bus, let's say a 55-seater uh, bus, uh, coach. I mean, is that a society? The people, if it's a full coach, is that a society? Uh, people on a plane, you know, 365 people on a plane going to Pakistan. Uh, is that a society <laughs> with the, the contents of the plane? No. Society, uh, you know, um, has certain components, the permanent relationship between two individuals. And that um, um, relationship is based upon common thoughts, common emotions and the system. That 
um, strengthens that that glues these common that protects these common thoughts and emotions. So really, brother, it's it's the aqidah that builds the society. You know, the aqidah that builds the society to reflect the viewpoint held by its citizens. Okay, so a secular aqidah would furnish such citizens that demanded that religion be separated from life's affairs. But the correct constitution, the correct constitution will generate correct thoughts and emotions en masse. Yeah. The correct Islamic constitution. And the correct institutions emerging from this correct constitution will create people from uh, who are ideological. Yeah, I mean, what do these current institutions build? personalities that have a secular viewpoint i'm sorry to say this is this is the truth the personalities that have a secular viewpoint or at least limited by uh, the secular thought yeah they can't expand their islamic thought because secularism is actually you know has, has pressurized them into thinking that way or even at the very least apologetic for some of islam's extreme rules quote unquote yeah. So these institutions, uh, brothers and sisters, only serve to maintain the political status quo. They, they exist to sustain liberalism. And they do little but intellectualize. They research. They study change. Yeah. They, they may study politics. But actually, they do nothing to be engaged in changing the global political reality. Because as soon as they infringe upon the supremacy of the ideology or system that they are bound by, the system will close them down, legislate against them, secularize them in the name of integration. Now, if we look at the House of Al-Arqam, okay, let's go back to the House of Al-Arqam. Was that a school? Was that some sort of educational institute? No, was it an Islamic institute? No. Because yeah. it was one. Okay, it was one. I mean... Um, uh, that place, the house of Al-Arqam, uh, bin Abi Al-Arqam, was uh, merely a gathering place to centralize the nourishing of the Sahaba, to hold the concepts that would bring about political change. See the difference? Yeah, it's just a gathering place. But the purpose of the gathering is so important. The purpose of the gathering in these Islamic institutions is to teach Islam. What kind of Islam? It's a limited form of palatable Islam, palatable to the West. So there's a restriction, first of all. Then what are you building? You're building just people who are educated. They have their repositories for information. That's all they are. As to using that information, it's completely different from what the Sahaba are being cultured with. The Sahaba's objective was to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. And the Sahaba understood that this verse yeah, about enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, it cannot be fulfilled by individuals, but rather by a system and a socio-political structure, which required political work. They had to go out and speak against the, the, the Quraysh. They had to go out and invite certain people, influentials, to Islam. They had to go and seek the Nusra from certain tribes. This is the work of the Prophet Sallallahu So society, you're absolutely right. The society of the second Khilafah, dear brothers and sisters, will build the statesmen 
as well as the Qadis, the great Qadis of tomorrow. They will produce the soldiers whose only desire is to convey the message of Islam to the world as they seek Jannah. That's, that's it. They seek Jannah under Allah's pleasure. This is what the Islamic education system under the Khilafah will do. Islam culturing builds personality that are equipped. Listen, they are equipped with the tools to help them in the political struggle to transform societies. Now you tell me, compare that with the, with the, with the students that are graduating with, mashallah, mashallah, the Quran, being hafid, having tafsir knowledge. What are they doing with it? How many of these international uh, institutes, Islamic institutes, yeah, even if they all get, got together, the whole world, you've got many, many big ones in, in, in America. You have many in South Africa. You have many across the world. Get them all together. Yeah, get them all together and ask them what, how, if, if they can change the fate of our brothers in Xinjiang. Can they change the fate of our brothers and sisters in uh, uh, Rohingya, yeah, in Burma, in Bangladesh? Can they? If they can't, what have they been doing for the past 50 years? Yeah. So um, this, is, this is the issue. So uh, the Sahaba were cultured, educated to transform and change the political landscape, change the reality, change the society. That's what they were built. And today, unfortunately, we have uh, loads of these institutions so, you know, going up in Muslim lands, non-Muslim lands, everywhere. What are, what, what are they doing? Yeah, what are they doing? Um, have they created any change apart from just personal change? So, brother, Dr. Rahul, um, I mean, i got a question for you, a personal question. Um, many argue that the Khilafah state that you're talking about is going to come back when Imam Mahdi comes. Um, and they say that um, all we can do in the meantime is set up institutes who will teach Arabic, who will teach, you know, it, the Hadith, who will teach the fiqh of things. So, you know, shouldn't we just concentrate on those and wait for the Khilafah to come? Mm, right. Um... Subhanallah, it's a very, very short-sighted uh, uh, viewpoint to have because in reality, that viewpoint doesn't exist um, in the sense that, look, let's say one of our dear, cherished relatives, relatives were ill, yeah, uh, or needed emergency help yeah, for some kind of medical ailment. You're telling me you're just going to wait. You're going to wait till... I don't know, something happens, someone comes, you know, the saviour arrives. You're, not, you're never going to do that. Yeah. You'll do what practically you, you know, you are geared to do. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's I mean, we, we live by the faraid. I mean, if someone is dying, you would call, you would do the necessary action to be able to, uh, to, to relieve that person of uh, his ailment. Um, in the same way, it's not just a, a case of, Oh well, leave it. We'll leave it to Imam Mehdi, the savior that's going to come. Yes, the Imam Mehdi will come, but what is your obligation? 
Yeah, what is your obligation? Do you do we think that uh, the the Rasul's uh, the Hadith uh, is silent? Islam is silent on what is happening. Do we not have any Hadith about what we should do in the in the face of what's happening in in uh, you know let's say for Israel uh, having normalizing relations with the uh, the 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 Arab world UAE? We've all heard of this. Are we? What what do we do in this situation? Do we just say, well, what can we do? Did the Sahaba have that mindset? Did the Sahaba have that mindset? We claim to, you know, follow the Sahaba. The Sahaba are like the, the stars on a night. They guide. They guide us. So the Sahaba weren't silent about changing the reality. So how is it that all of a sudden, you know, we want to just wait for Mehdi, Imam Mehdi to come and relieve us of all the of, of all the uh, tribulations whether it's like people who ask when is the day of judgment it doesn't matter when the day of judgment is the day of judgment will start when you go into the grave so what what are you doing to prepare for your day of judgment what are you doing to prepare for your accountability when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks you what did you do when the rohingyas were cast adrift in those ships 300 trying to go to the shores of malaysia being rejected by the malaysian government drinking their own urine just to keep themselves alive allahu akbar and you're telling me imam mehdi is going to come and save them subhanallah so we've got to be careful about you know uh, how we what sort of ideas we're projecting Imam, waiting for Imam Mahdi is an excuse, is an excuse for doing nothing. The human being has to do something. This, it, it feels agitated. Yeah. So any problem we see, we feel agitated. There is no way. It's not even in our sharia. It's not in any, the nature of humanity, human beings, whether you're Muslim or not, to see a problem and just sit there, wait for a savior. No. This is not, there's no guardian of the galaxies or Superman or it's not, it's, this is not, this is reality. So brothers and sisters, it's, you, we need to see where we are getting these ideas and just put it to test, put these ideas to test in, in our own lives. There is no way we're going to sit back and wait for something to happen. We never do that in our practical lives. Yeah. I've uh, got another question from um, the brother Azubair Ibn Farooq. Uh, he says, some will say that Arabic is the gateway to understanding our deen better. So to work with grassroots, they will need nurturing with the language so that they may appreciate the rich culture that is our deen and in the language of the Noble Quran. Isn't this an important aspect that we ignore today? So I think he's trying to say that, you know, if his institutions Absolutely. teach this. I agree with it then isn't it a good well, thing well that's the but that's it. yeah of course it's a good thing no one's denying brother it's not a good thing how can i say that arabic is not a good thing how can i say that teaching people about salah is not a good thing how can we say that getting to know about this man the beloved of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his life history is not a good thing no one's saying that we're saying what do we do with that knowledge, brother? What do we do with that knowledge? 
Okay. Mm. So it's like me going to do an engineering degree. Um, okay. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, because you can fix a few lights here and there. And maybe if you're very talented, you could be able to uh, rewire the, uh, the, the city lights. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, what do you do with that knowledge? You, you become an electrician to do what? To teach more, ele- teach more people to become electricians. You know, so, yes, it is good. No one's saying that the uh, learning of the Islamic sciences is not a good thing. Alhamdulillah, it's great. In fact, it's a fard. <laughs> it's a fard. You have to learn these Islamic sciences. You have to be able to learn Arabic language. Yeah, I myself am learning Arabic language. But with what intention? I want to be able to communicate with the Arabs, the Arab brothers and sisters, yeah, to be able to access firsthand the the Arabic literature, yeah, the Balagha, the Hadith. Why? So that I can work towards changing the systems in the in the Arab lands, so that um, my Khilafa, the Khilafa, will be able to teach Arabic language en masse as a fard to all children, instead of. It being, oh, can I afford to actually go on this course? Where is this course? It's in Mauritania. Oh, don't know whether I'll be able to go there. Yeah. So teaching the Islamic sciences, no problem at all. In fact, we should promote that. But is that where we just leave it? Is this where it ends? What do we do with that knowledge? Yeah. Just like the Sahaba, just like the Prophet ﷺ. He taught the Sahaba. Uh, 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 he cultured the Sahaba. But it, to do what? To do what with the culture? Yeah, to to go out there and practically change the, the our reality, our situation. So yes, get yourself cultured. You know, read books, inshallah. But at the same, you don't, you know, don't just say, well, I'm reading. I'm actually studying at the moment. I, I can't do this. No, study as well as um, work to reestablish the Khilafah. This is our fard. Just like it's a fard to learn the Arabic language. It's a fard to establish the Khilafah. And if we don't think or if we have difference of opinion that, you know, uh, the, uh, that the Khilafah is not fard, subhanallah, it's the mother of all fards. The, this Khilafah fard will bring about all of the faraid. It will get rid of, forbid all of the munkarat. Only through the Khilafah, the political system. We've had it for 1300 years. Brothers and sisters, do you not want a second golden age? Are we not proud of the history, our heritage, the golden age, the kuffar write about the golden age of Islam? And do we not want the second golden age? I certainly do. My children, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Because they are, they live, we're living in a secular system. They may go to these institutions. But are these institutions building Children, building the next generation to have this foresight, to be working for the second golden generation, the golden age, sorry. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, um, um, we have another question from Imran. He says, uh, uh, Dr. For the talk. Um, question I have is, without a state, what short-term solution should we as a Muslim community be seeking Um, 
Right. Uh, good question. Um, yes, without the Khilafah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll reverse that question onto Imran, uh, Brother Imran. What short-term solution did the Sahaba have? That's what we should ask. What short-term solution did they have? They were tortured. Uh, they were killed. Uh, their solution was one solution, short or long-term, irrespective. Yeah? They had one vision, which was to have a system where the Sharia, the laws of Islam were implemented. They felt a certain modicum of uh, safety and security. Yeah, Their wealth and honor, their dignity and their values were protected. So they worked. They worked to establish Medina. Long term, short term, neither here nor there. You have one goal. You need to do what is required. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that we start thinking, oh, well, how do we establish the Khilafah? I think we should do it like this. I think we should do it like that. Because we never say that about any other farts. When we say, well, what do we do when we have, um, you know, it's, uh, 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 we're not going to get, what do we do in, in, when we don't have any water for making tayammum? Um, we don't just say, well, let me think. I think we should do this. No, you go back to the Quran and Sunnah, derive what you should do is a problem the solution comes emanates from the uh, the ishtihad emanates from the, the 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 exertion that you do in finding a solution to that problem so in the same way yeah our long-term short-term solution is the khilafa solution the khilafa uh, state so we have to go back in to see what the quran and sunnah say about Establishing the state. Um, sometimes, you know, Muslims, they look at the Prophet and they can't see the wood for the trees. What was the mission? I mean, we, we have this word mission. What is the word mission? Mission to do what? Well, mission to pray. Was he on a mission to, 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 to pray? Was he on a mission to fast? Was he on a mission to uh, 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 pay zakah? Was he on a mission to do... Uh, um, uh, Hajj. No, his mission was something else. His mission, yeah, was the, uh, the, the 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 twenty-three years that he spent his life doing what his mission was to establish the state where the Islam could be then conveyed to the world, and it is because of that mission and because of the establishment of that uh, state in Medina that today we are Muslim. No other reason. The sacrifices of those people who went out to give dawah convey the message throughout the world. So, so yes, um, short-term solution, subhanAllah. Um, you know, um, solution is one. We need to have a look and study the method. How did the Prophet ﷺ achieve the Islamic state? Yeah, what was the methodology? Yeah, what sort of uh, 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 do... Yeah, how did how did he model it? What did he do to establish the state? I think we have a we have a question here that's linked to what you're saying. Yeah, uh, let me just add in now. Um, there's a brother called Ahmed. Um, he says, "Jazakallah, young man." Uh, you say about the coming second Khilafah Rashid. Uh, can you list our our practical uh, actions the Muslim Ummah living in the West can do to bring about it in, let's say, Pakistan or Turkey? Like Rasulullah did uh, while being in Makkah, brought about the first Islamic state. 
Can you shed some light on this? Yes, sure. Uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, brother, it's uh, Jazakallah khair for your question. Uh, practical actions that we can do. Well, first of all, yeah, we've got to practice Islam. Yeah, we've got to be able to find out, you know, what's our reality, understand our reality, understand our history. Okay, reality is very much connected with the history. Yeah, where is it that we're coming from? Where that history needs to be part and parcel, yeah, to explain our existence here. To be able to answer that question, I need to know why. Oh, why is a brown person here? <laughs> if you want to put it like that, why? Why are brown people in this country? Yeah, why are you know uh, non-natives in the West? Where are we coming from? Because if we understood that, we don't need to start asking a question, which is, you know, how do we establish this from here? Uh, how do we help the brothers over there? Um, so that's one of the first things. And then we do what the Prophet Wasallam did. We start culturing the Muslims. Yeah, there's, a, you know, the Prophet Wasallam, um, you know, in, in the house of Al-Arqam, he had privately cultured. Yeah, the first stage of his uh, the method privately cultured the uh, the Sahaba. What he cultured them was to be ideological. They had a purpose. They had a vision, a political vision. Yeah, as well as doing the uh, the personal ritual actions like praying, doing zikr, uh, reflecting. Yeah, no one's saying we didn't. We don't do that. It's part and parcel. So he privately cultured these individuals, and then he went out into society. And he uh, challenged the, you know, the customs and the laws and the legislation of society. And then, you know, he went out uh, looking for uh, help and protection from the various tribes. And everyone knows about the Taif story. But, uh, you know, he went to Taif to ask for protection. Why? To protect his little statelet. Yeah, his little, you know, very small Medina state. Would you be prepared to do that? So this is the, I mean, that's very, in a, in a nutshell, this is the the the, 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 the sort of um, uh, methodology, if you like. And there's many, there's much literature on this. You can, you can uh, uh, um, um, read about that. But in terms of what we do now practically, well, we must keep up with uh, with the events happening to the Muslims worldwide. Okay, we need to uh, expose the plans of the of the West. What are they doing in our lands? We need to expose their plans. We need to uh, expose expose the, the colonialist plans. We need to really disconnect, make a disconnect between the ruler and the ruled in our countries. In our countries, we're ruled by dictators, and those that aren't dictators, yeah, I call them democratic dictators. Yeah. So they're being elected by, you know, people to be to be there and rule, but they don't implement Islam. So we need to be able to sever the link between the ruler and the rule. Why? Because this is one of the processes that we have to do to have to, to be able to uh, uh, bring forth uh, a, 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 a change, a, polit a political change. So it's important that we do these things. Um, we constantly, you know, talk about what's happening in the Muslim world and it's and the solution. 
it's not just a um, you know uh, some kind of a coffee shop about oh what's happened in Israel yeah why are these Israelis you know it's not news you know we're not in a coffee shop just you know reading the paper we need to be giving people the Muslim solutions this is the solution to this crisis and if you look at it brother if you look at any crises in the Muslim world yeah I challenge people to give me another solution than the solution which was dictated by the Prophet you know uh, uh, um, you know through the, the Quran that's what his life was about his life was about establishing that state the Khilafah state today subhanallah I was at Juma uh, a, a, a little mosque you know and the, the Khatib he astonished me he's talking about Khilafah he's talking about Khilafah that look he was talking about unity and this is what we need we need we need uh, uh, the the imams this if you want to do something you need to be able to go to the influentials of our society you know influentials of our community here in the west and go and talk to them about khilafa ask them what do, what is khilafa what does you know what, why was it why did it exist how does it how did it come about do we not need one now put him on the on, on the back foot yeah ask them they're the knowledgeable people you go to your imams and ask them tell me about khilafa because there are some there are certain people talking about it certain people are 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 uh, very um passionate about establishing it in the muslim land go and ask them okay so we, there is lots of things we can do so uh, personally educate yourself about what the history is, what the Islamic history is, our heritage, our Khilafah, you know, the, the coming Khilafah, the, 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 all of the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ has, has prophesied that the Khilafah will, uh, second Khilafah will come. So do that personally. Practice Islam. Ask Allah to guide you. All that sort of stuff. And then you go into society. You talk to your families. Tell them, invite them to this solution, you know, this obligation. And then move on to the influentials in society, whoever you know. Let's have this, um, what do they say? The Twitter storm. Yeah. Let's have mm. this vocal storm in the community that's talking mm. about Khilafah. Khilafah should be on the lips of everyone. And, you know, challenges, people will challenge. So be it. We want people to challenge us about the obligation, the fard of Khilafah. So that we can prove to them that the Khilafah is far. Yeah, we have evidences to be able to say that. Subhanallah, it's amazing, isn't it? That uh, here we are today, 13 centuries of a civilization called the Caliphate. And 20, it's a hundred years, subhanallah. It's a hundred years since the demolition of the Khilafah. And I... And a lot of brothers are trying to persuade people, trying to persuade the ummah that, you know what? There's something called the mother of all farts, and that's the Khilafah. Look at the amnesia. Mm. Yeah. It's an amazing job that, that people mm. have done. Amazing, truly amazing, the, 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 how they've politically played it. But you know what? They plot and plan, and Allah plots and plans. Yeah. And Allah is the best planner. But we can't leave it at that. Make sure we are involved in his plan. 
make sure that we do the actions so that we can, you know, he's proud of us on the day. That yes, you were part of my plan. You helped me in my plan to destroy the barriers that are stopping us from establishing this great theme. And this is what it is. It's the, I want the golden age. I want the second golden age. And I'm sure that all of the Muslims do. The Muslims are crying out. Brother, the whole talk is about institutions. Why is it that these Muslim, our Muslim brothers and sisters are, are, are uh, you know, um, building these Islamic institutions and the Islamic institutions are on the rise? Because the Ummah is good. She's amazing. She loves Islam. She just doesn't know how to get it. And if we understand it, we need to move. We need to move and tell them that, look, this is how we do it. This is how the Prophet ﷺ achieved it. This is what he left us with. He didn't just leave us with Salah. He didn't just leave us with growing a beard. Yeah. Try not to be uh, 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 seduced by these uh, uh, colonial powers. They've spent a lot of time in brainwashing yeah, it has to stop now. We need to go out there and really, you know, shout out about uh, how uh, the, the solution is the Khilafah state. And that should be every person that we speak to in our families, in, with our friends, with our colleagues at work. This is it. If you want to do something, do that. Yeah. Market the Khilafah. Market it. Have a marketing campaign. It's a hundred years, subhanAllah, since the Khilafah was destroyed. Anyone talking about it? Which Islamic institution is talking about, you know, hundred years of the destruction of the Khilafah? Please tell me. I haven't heard it. Hmm. It's Hezbollah Tahrir. They're talking about it. They've talked about hmm. it for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. So we must continue to do that. We must continue, and the brothers uh, who are the dawah carriers, they must, they must persevere, just like the Sahaba did. And we should use the lives of the Sahaba. Yeah, they are our examples, and how they were consistent. People didn't listen to them, but they were consistent in the same message, same message, consistently, constantly. Very laborious thing to do, and it's very. Um, it's very uh, uh, upsetting sometimes when people don't listen to you. But this is the sunnah. This is the sunnah. So we need to go out there, brothers and sisters, and really market market the uh, the obligation to the Muslims and market the Khilafah as a new world order to the to the non-Muslims. They're crying out for some alternative to this miserable capitalism. Zakhlaq. Zakhlaq. Um, I think on this point uh, we will end in a lot time today. Um, very enjoyed the discussion very much, uh, as I bet the viewers did too. Um, just a reminder to everyone that this circle takes place every Friday at 8 p.m. And spread the word, and we will see you next week with another interesting topic. A uh, big thank you to Dr. Ruhul Amin for addressing us today. Um, and we will finish with dua. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.